Dermot and Dave. Conversation, crack, and the music you love. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. When we think of Salem, there's a high chance we think about shows like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Wasn't that her little cat? Uh, but there's an incredible story coming out of the US about justice finally being served for one woman. It only took 329 years. It's been confirmed that Elizabeth Johnson Jr. is in fact not a witch. And we think the Irish justice system is slow. Emerson Baker is a history professor at Salem State University in America. And he's up at the crack of dawn to chat to us. Good morning, Emerson. Good morning. Good morning, Dublin. <laughs> uh, lovely to talk to you. Witchcraft, I suppose, you know, we're a country of superstitious people and there are still people here who believe strongly in the likes of fairies and witchcraft and all that kind of stuff. However, it was a far more serious business a few hundred years ago and a lot of, particularly women, lost their lives unnecessarily, probably due to paranoia. Would that be the case? Oh, that's certainly part of the answer. Yes, we, we believe that between uh, Europe and her colonies, as many as 50,000 people were executed for witchcraft, and that about three-quarters of those victims were women. It is very much of a sort of a, a gendered crime where women were, unfortunately, back then considered to be inferior to men and had a wonderful wife and two amazing daughters. Uh, I, I think we all know that isn't true, but it, was, it certainly was back then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what were the criteria for having the finger pointed at you? What made you a witch in their eyes? Well, here's the scary thing. I mean, um, witchcraft is really largely about sort of scapegoating. So anybody who stood out, who was a little bit different, perhaps someone who spoke with an accent or someone who worshipped God a little bit differently or acted somewhat strangely. In the case of, of Elizabeth Johnson um, Jr., and her mother was actually uh, was uh, accused of witchcraft as well. Um, she was described in, in some, some documents around the time of the trials as being perhaps simplish at best. You know, again, by our standards, might have been suffering from some mental illnesses. Uh, and uh, that would be one thing that could make you certainly stand out uh, of the crowd. But it, it could be other things as well. Perhaps a woman who is particularly argumentative or, frankly, particularly smart and opinionated, right, could, could get you into trouble back then. Mm. What was the process? So say, you know, you were accused of being a witch. Was that you were going to be put to death? Or how? what happened to you once sure. you were accused? Well... Uh, in many cases, the justice system here in the colonies mirrored that of, uh, of, of, of England at the time. And you had the standard sort of things like uh, trial by jury, and you had, you had to be indicted by a grand jury. And uh, um, it really, you know, innocent until proven guilty. So you would, in, in many ways, have a very sort of standard trial where someone would, have, would accuse you. The grand jury would, would just determine whether an indictment should be given. And if so, then you would have a, a, a trial by, by jury. But... It was a little bit different back then, unfortunately. For example, it was actually uh, I illegal to, to have a defense lawyer back then. Uh, and in fact, you had just a panel of judges who were there to sort of ferret out the truth, you see, to determine to basically be both the defense and prosecuting attorneys as well and, and to determine uh, the case. And, and then they would, uh, you know, make, make a, uh, they, they would uh, rule over the court and then the jury would, just like today, a jury would decide. And then, uh, uh, so this was kind of justice that we might recognize today, but it, it had its twists. A lot of them seem to have confessed to being witches. What was the advantage to confessing as opposed to denying being a witch at all? Yeah, you know, um, Elizabeth was one of 55 people who confessed, and that's over a third of the people in, in Salem. And looking at historical perspective, 
we can say today that confession was the right thing to do because in all, 19 people were executed in 1692, but no one, none of those 55 people who confessed was executed. So to some degrees, it was like, I think, an act of desperation that this may keep you alive. But other things more sinister, for example, we know that judicial, I'm putting this in quotes, judicial mild torture was allowable and, it, and was used at Salem. And uh, so there may have been the threat of torture, very much like today, the whole idea, you know, and I'm sure this is true in Ireland is here, that we're realizing that there are a lot of forced confessions in our legal system where for a, a number of reasons, sort of personal or pressure put on you by, you know, family, uh, your minister, etc., uh, people would actually confess. Um, and in Elizabeth's case, again, it may be if she did have uh, some, some mental issues, um, she may not have fully understood what she was confessing to. Mm. So, uh, it's, you know, there, there, were, there, there was a range of reasons why you might do that. So Elizabeth, who was from Andover in Massachusetts, she confessed yeah. to practicing witchcraft. So what happened to her eventually, and how has she ended up being exonerated hundreds of years later? Right. Well, so she was tried and, and, and eventually sentenced. But at this stage, by the time she was tried, it was very late in the trials. And just about everybody was being found not guilty because they realized that uh, innocent people were, were being convicted. And... So she was given she and uh, she was given a reprieve, even though she she basically you know was confessed, and so she was going to be found guilty. But then they gave, they issued a reprieve and eventually let her go home. But she never actually got any sort of formal legal action exonerating her on the charges. So she went home and lived the rest of her life. She she never married, um, and she, her family did try once. Uh, gosh, about twenty years later, to try to to try to get her exonerated. But uh, there seems to be some confusion over that because. Her mother of the same name was exonerated, but she wasn't. So um, it's, it's a very sort of a confusing situation. And that, I think, explains why she, uh, unlike all the others, was never formally exonerated. And it was a classroom project that played a big role in this. Yes, it was a, it was a, a middle school teacher, uh, Carrie Lapierre, uh, who led the effort with her students. And to me, that's the, that's the most wonderful thing about this. Uh, it really is a, 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 maybe one of the best civics lessons you could teach students is that you can make a difference and you can fight injustice. And I think even though today, uh, I know certainly in America, and I think probably in Ireland and around the world, we, t- we often get a little bit cynical about our political system and to whether it really works or not and whether justice is served. Um, but I think this gave the students the idea that, you know, individuals can make a difference if they have if they have a good cause and are willing to fight for it. Mm. And I suppose as an expert yourself and, you know, a history professor who knows all the ins and outs of a time in in society when, uh, you know, it was religious conservatism and paranoia um, and knee-jerk reactions and finger-pointing, when you look at American society in particular now, do you see any of those... Uh, maybe that little levels of paranoia or some of those similar traits creeping back in? Oh, I absolutely. Um, one reason I really enjoy teaching this and studying it is because it is incredibly relevant today. And um, I tell you, really, a day goes by when I don't watch the news and shake my head and think that this is, in many ways, I'm hearing the same sorts of same sorts of things. that. Uh, and, and, and this is, I don't mean to pick on any p- political aspect. This is people left, right, or center. Uh, you know, that whole idea of a, of a witch hunt, uh, which is synonymous with Salem, of course, has been been used, I think, by Americans and around the world uh, for for centuries as uh, you know people rushing to judgment and extremism. And uh, un- unfortunately, it's, it's still very much a, a problem a problem with us today in, in, in many forms. And so, in this sense, to me, 
I think Shalem can teach us some, and, and witch hunts in general can teach us some valuable lessons. Yeah, well, it may have taken 329 years, but it's good news for Elizabeth Johnson Jr. Uh, from Andover, Massachusetts, who is now officially not a witch, thanks to a campaign by a bunch of kids in a school. It's great. It's a good, positive story. Thanks, Emerson, for chatting to us. Oh, ple- pleasure talking to you. You have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dermot and Dave. Weekdays from 9 a.m. Today.